0: I'm Justin Lassick And I'm Mike Badolino And you're listening to 70's Big Radio Your friends on your drive to your 9 to 5 Hey everybody, welcome to episode 12 of 70's Big Radio It's Sunday, October 27th I'm having kind of a, a bad evening, but how are
1: you doing, Mike? I'm doing fantastic today. Uh, I heard there were some uh, there were some football games on today, Justin. Did yeah. your
0: team win? Uh, Mike's referring to the Cleveland Browns, which is uh, my favorite NFL team, unfortunately, and they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the only solace in this loss is that it was not a quarterback problem, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. So uh,
1: my understanding is this past week,
0: Mike, you watched a little bit of weightlifting worlds.
1: Uh, I did. I'm, I mainly went the cheap route. I tried to... Uh, watched the free live stream, but it it didn't go that well, and I wasn't about to pay for Eurosport, so uh, all things, Gregor and all things Jim did a really good job of posting pretty much everything, like five minutes after it happened, kind of sucks, because I don't know how to pronounce anyone's name, Uh, but if you go ahead and you uh, just go to all things Jim, you can look at uh, the results from everyone, Uh, there were some pretty incredible lifts, I mean, just starting with, uh, I don't really know a whole lot of 69 kilo lifters, but I know the the wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, wait, wait,
1: 60, what's 60 what, Six, 69 kilo lifters, oh, Okay. Uh, you know, but the guy who won from China totaled, you know, he totaled 358, he snatched 160, clean jerk 198, which oh. is, yeah, you know, it's pretty fine. incredible, it's yeah, 69 fine. kilos. And then uh, at 77, uh, Lou, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but it starts with an X. I don't, I don't know. I'm just going to botch it anyway. Zaijong. So everyone knows what his, who he is. But he's real jocked. He's got huge traps, and Brent really likes him. I'm sorry, Brett. Uh, but he, uh, he snatched a world record 176 at 77, and then uh, did 204 on the cleaning jerk, and then took his singlet—you know, pulled his singlet down to signal that it, he was done. And he didn't even take a third attempt because he he'd already won by 21 kilos. Oh. See ya. Oh. Uh, and then you know the the 85s were uh, were a little bit closer. There were some guys within in you know, the top five, top four were within 10 kilos of one another. Uh, some huge lifts there. And then uh, in the 94s, uh, Ivanov, I think that's how you pronounced it. He uh, he cleaned the jerk 222. See ya. Pretty uh, pretty awesome. And he won by about five kilos. And then I think I can't remember if it was yesterday or today. I think uh, I think yeah, 105s. I think were yesterday. But anyway, they got uh, they got from Uzbekistan. Uh, Nuru, not not gonna pronounce it. Uh, He's doing snatched, well so far. Yeah, he snatched 190, cleaning jerk 235, which is pretty epic. And there's a real sweet picture uh, that Nate from Hooker. I mean, he took Nate from Hooker has been taking ridiculous pictures. If you don't follow him on Instagram, he takes insane. You know pictures of all these lifters, uh, just like just in the best positions. You know just with the uh, just a, he captures the raw emotion of weightlifting better than I don't know I guess anyone. Uh, but yeah, right after the 235, I guess he doesn't normally get really excited, and he got really really fired up after that. I mean, he and your 235. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and last, you know, we had the uh, the super heavies that lifted today, and I watched some of their lifts, and the uh, the Russian. Uh, Alba Albajov, something like that. I don't know snatched 209 and did a 255 cleaning jerk which yeah that's pretty awesome. so that's that's very heavy. Uh, but the uh, the coolest thing about the uh, I think the super heavies was this uh, he was either 21 or 22 uh, an Iranian fella. he snatched 203 and then he went for a 261 cleaning jerk for the win uh, and he cleaned it. He got the jerk, but when he went to bring his right foot forward, he uh, he wasn't able to recover it. But still, 21, yeah, I think he's 21 or 22 years old with a 261 cleaning jerk. That's pretty freaking awesome. So,
0: yeah, uh, apparently Iranian uh, super heavies are kind of good. I remember watching Razade Salimi. uh, uh, uh yeah. power clean 200 kilos and land with his knees straight.
1: <laughs> See ya.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, we just had some uh, technical difficulties. We were talking about weightlifting, and we got to talking about Razza's day. We were talking about lifters making really big lifts, and we are going to lead into talking about people online, like in Facebook and Seventies and Big, talking about how they were comparing themselves to these lifters, right, Mike?
1: Yes. Uh, a lot of times, what you'll see is you know people will see an amazing lift like Lou's, you know, his 170 snatch at 77 kilos, and they'll go man, I should just quit. Uh, Justin, do you think that's the right mentality? Just uh, if it, I mean, obviously some people are just joking, but some people, some people really take that seriously. Uh, what do you think? Well, we've talked about it
0: before, and I think I've talked about it on the site before, but it's hard to look at 176 kilo snatch when you don't even clean and jerk 176. And <laughs> yeah. it's it's hard to fathom it, and then it's like, holy shit, I'm a little bitch. And it's hard to stay out of that frame of thinking because it's just you feel pathetic but at the same time this is a professional athlete who not only is at the highest level of weightlifting possible in a sport but he's also been groomed to do this since he was a sperm in a fallopian tube fertilizing an egg you know so he's been groomed in in his home country to do this type of stuff from a young age and he's pumped with the finest steroids possible with the with some sort of uh process to select him and his coaches uh to be the best, and he gets on the national team and then has a performance like he did. You know, so obviously it's not intelligent to compare yourself to a professional athlete because we don't sit here and compare ourselves to NFL players, you know, so. uh, It's just not productive. You use it as a source of inspiration, uh, but when in doubt, you can say, all right, uh, what's three quarters of my body weight? Let me look at the women's class at Worlds that compares to three quarters of my body weight. And then let me compare my numbers to that, and that's that. That should be maybe where you're at uh, after a few years of weightlifting. What do you think?
1: Uh, I just think that you know. I, I mean, I was just. I, I was actually looking up online. I think he actually hasn't been weightlifting that long, which is a uh, yeah. <laughs> In this particular instance, kind of insane. It's nonsense. Erroneous. It, it, it It's ridiculous that he's as good as he is. Uh, I forget what he did. Uh, Jacob Sifkin and I were talking about it. I, I don't think he's been weightlifting longer than much longer than his first world championship was in 2009. But uh, yeah, and he won a gold. Well, still, he's but a anyway, genetic, he's a genetic freak. We'll right. Get, we'll he, he, Simpkin... he competed in another sport. He competed in another sport and he was good at it. I, I forget what sport, but he was good at it. And you know, he's been athletic for his entire life. And he's yeah, obviously, I mean, I mean, not every 77 that even gets to that level is going to be that good because a weightlifting world record is, you know. Uh, Hard to come by. I don't, I don't want to say it's more impressive than powerlifting, but in powerlifting, there are so many federations, you know, so that you see a lot of people say, oh, that's a world record. Well, in weightlifting, it's either a world record or it's not.
0: Yeah. The so, only way that it's, uh, the only way that you can kind of poo-poo the world record for weightlifting is that they changed over the weight classes and kind of threw out the old records. So like a 263 yeah. clean and jerk by yeah. Rizazade Day is considered a world record, whereas... It, you know, 265 has
1: been done several times, and 266 was done by Taranenko So Taranenko, yeah. So, but anyway, the point that that I'm trying to make, and the reason I want to talk about this, is that you know you can look at these guys, and you can be blown away by their lifting, uh, and you can realize that no matter what, I mean, unfortunately, you're probably never going to get to that level. But what you can do is you can reach the potential that you you know that you're able to reach. You're gonna you're gonna hit a limit at some point. Uh, you know, drugs are obviously going to get people past that point. Uh, you know, and obviously there's a lot of drug usage uh, well, in certain sports at certain levels. But uh, even you know, naturally, I mean, you're going to hit you're going to hit a, a peak at some point in your life. And uh, you know, it you just have to accept that that's going to happen. But you can be get pretty damn strong. I mean, there's nothing wrong with only snatching. I say only, but only snatching 150 or 160. You know, that's still pretty damn impressive. You know, we're only clean and jerking two hundred. You know, when people when the world record is, you know, two sixty three right now.
0: Yeah, but sure. even even those numbers are a little high for I guess maybe the average reader of the site. Right. And, right. And and high for me. I've never cleaned j- or you know, snatched or clean jerk those numbers, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically that lifting is not about comparing yourself to the best. Lifting yes. is about reaching your potential, like Mike said, but it's also about yeah. the the process in getting there because the process provides as much of a learning experience as the end state of being happy with, with a strength state. But strength training is a process and it always will yeah. be and and people don't do it for that, that peak element. People do it for the process or at yeah. least they like the results of it. So. Um, people may do it for the end result but the process is what's really important especially from our average Joes which we're, we're kind of like average Joes too but the process is what's important and what you can learn and implement into your regular everyday life about working hard to achieve something valuing uh, what you achieve and uh, being committed and determined to get there that's what's important with lifting not, not comparing yourself to who the fucking best in the world is because that's just unrealistic anyway
1: it's a you know if you if you're just trolling and if you're just messing around like hey maybe I should quit lifting then yeah it's whatever but seriously don't no you know, quit. don't no don't feel no so definitely
0: bad. quit quit lifting <laughs> if you're just listening to this then stop lifting if you're doubting whether or not you want to lift then stop just give up okay yeah uh, that's the Brent wanna... Kid method of uh of encouragement by the way yeah let's
1: let's let's not talk about the Brent Kid method for life All right. <laughs> but uh, Justin would you like to do some Q and A. Because we have a great uh Let's our hit first it up. question is amazing. Yeah. Let's go. Our first uh, our first question is uh from a Canadian fella. His name is Mark I'm not quite sure to pronounce this either. Mara Maratada, I think. I think it's he mar- says, it's Muratakus. Uh,
0: Maroticus.
1: uh Maroticus. okay. Uh well he asks what is best in
0: life? Uh well the the obvious answer is to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their women
1: interesting uh it sounds as if someone said that before you but uh you know quotations are cool no big deal uh the second question is from tim and tim asks what are your thoughts on programming for strongmen uh a little bit of a vague question but uh what do you think justin well
0: uh let's let me throw this on the table uh i haven't coached any strongmen people
1: <laughs>
0: i haven't coached <laughs> oh. any strong men competing in the in the sport of strongmen uh, and I haven't really done a whole lot of it myself, other than messing around with stuff. So um, I'll kind of defer to Mike, who has done a few meets, and then I'll talk about uh, someone else who you might be able to talk to for programming for this kind of stuff. But Mike, you give you give uh, your quick thoughts on programming for strongman, real quick.
1: Okay. So there are uh, if you go online and you read what other strongmen are doing, either pros, really good amateurs, or just you know someone that's just kind of getting into strongman. Uh, even more so than powerlifting, you're going to see a, just so many different thoughts, and people think so differently about things. Uh, I kind of t- I try to take a little more of a, uh, a pragmatic approach based on what I learned when I was doing powerlifting. Uh, and let's let's just use the example of uh, uh, more, some of the more common events like yoke, stones, and formers. Uh, stones tend to beat up the body a lot more than. Uh, and other events so it's probably best not to do heavy stones every week. Uh, I like to do like a light stone load to a uh, a lot higher, uh, something like in between 65 and 70 inches once a month and then uh, two weeks later I'll do a, a heavy stone load, something to like 50 inches which is a traditional height for most events. So you know I get about, let's say I get 24 uh, training sessions with the stones in a year uh, same thing with the yoke. I do it, you know, every other week. Uh, one week I'll do it for, uh, I'm sorry, I do it uh, twice a month. Uh, once I'll do it for, you know, for speed because, you know, speed with the yoke is very important. And then uh, maybe I'll go a little bit heavier the next time, depending on what I'm doing. My point is uh, you have to you have, to have a process for it. You have to know what you need to improve. Uh, and you can't, I mean, you can't go heavy all the time. Contest weights, I mean, straw men is, uh, you know, there's a lot, you're, doing it for reps you're doing it for max lift you're doing it for time so you need to know what you're training for you need to know what you're weak at uh and you need to not and you need to improve your other lifts as well because justin have you seen a a lot of overhead pressing in strongman events would you agree there's a lot of overhead yeah it's it's an it's one of the inherent events right you know and, and justin you know myself we all agree that you know in powerlifting too you need to have overhead pressing so even more so in strongman where it is a contested event so look out there there's a lot of different information and uh, I think Justin has someone else that uh, you can talk to that he wants to discuss real yeah, quick Yeah and there's a another thing that uh Mike would could probably expand on this
0: we could probably talk about it for a long time but is uh you obviously have to get um some specific work with the implements themselves Absolutely. and I know that was uh something that you uh learned a lot by t- talking with strongmen and like kind of doing them at the events and kind of learning uh how to use certain implements you know you got the you know, large dumbbells, you have logs, you have axles, you have um you have fat bars for deadlift, you have different types of uh carrying mechanisms for uh for farmers carry, you have different mm-hmm. types of yokes. So getting uh, getting a spe- specific work with these things is important. And it's kinda like weightlifting in the sense that you have to get specificity with it, but at the same time that specificity is draining. It's not just skill work like football or an athletic based sport, um, where you can just uh do agility or like run plays without getting particularly physically drained. It just requires a lot out of you. So The main thing is you kind of have to place, um, you know, maybe place the heaviest events at the end of the week, rotate them weekly is kind of how Mike is going about it, and then you know you with the less stressful events maybe you could work on them prior to your lifting session if they're your priority and then I, I do know that some strong men will focus more on their strength if they are not close to a competition so they might do their strength work and then finish up with some lighter implement work so obviously you have that whole dynamic of including implements uh my buddy shannon green in australia he runs uh warrior performance that you can go to word for australia but i know that he uh him and his buddies compete in Strongman, and so he had uh, some good stuff to say when I was down there. And he's also done a uh, an article for the site. If you look up Shannon Green on 70s Big, you'll see an article he wrote. And he's he's a real interesting guy, and he has an awesome accent. And uh, so he, you could go find Shannon Green if you want to hear more, but we're going to kind of leave this one alone because we're... Mike's. I, th- I think Mike has a good mind for programming in general, and he can talk more about it. So if you want to find Mike, uh, Mike at 70s Big. Otherwise... Um, just be cognizant of actually programming
1: you can't just beat the shit out of your body yeah there are there are definitely a lot of people that try to do that and you know I've showed up to I showed up to competitions and one of the things that you know there's a lot of time in between strong events so you talk to everyone when you're competing against and I'll be like hey man you know what do you what do you do for training and there you know there are people that do it very intelligently and there are people that are like I don't know man I go in there I do some stones you know I carry, carry the yoke for a while and I'm like dude that can't work forever but uh, let's lead into another question, because like Justin said, we could talk about that forever. Uh, Andrew asked, "What is uh, how do you program for weightlifters with chronic wrist pain?
0: Well, we wanted to hit this one up really quick. Um, when I hear weightlifting and wrist pain, I kind of say, huh. I wonder what's causing the wrist pain. So I know Andrew a bit, but I haven't talked to him in a while. I don't know why he's chronic wrist pain. That's obviously relevant in what my answer is going to be, but the first thing I would assume is some sort of uh, mechanical uh, issue going on that's going to help place some stress on his wrists. Um, Typically, if someone is internally rotating when they're catching a snatch, internally rotating in their shoulder, that is, then they can just kind of compromise their position and and maybe leave their their wrist open for receiving uh, stress in a weird way. So um, let's assume that he has his mechanical flaws figured out, and he's working on that. Um, and then let's assume he's taking care of it mobility-wise. Like, is this a uh, is this a ligamentous issue? Like, the ligament holds the bones together. As he's stressing, like uh, the radial side or thumb side ligament, or the pinky or ulnar side ligament in his wrist, or is he straining uh, tendons that are coming into his wrist? Um, I'm going to kind of leave that one alone because that's kinda, that's more like a physical therapy kind of maybe possibly chiropractic answer, but um, how to program. Like if your wrist hurts when you catch snatches or jerks, then obviously you can't do that thing. So um, <laughs> he can get by with maybe doing, uh, you know, uh, doing power variants. Like maybe if he, if he can clean, then he can clean. So he can get, still get some explosive work and some squatting. And then uh, cleaning and squatting is going to keep him, you know, weightlifty which is a stupid ass term it's going to keep him in shape it's a sweet word when he gets back into when his wrist is okay enough to start doing it but what i will caution andrew about is when he does get back into doing the things that cause pain and i assume that's the competitive lifts to kind of ease into it and even if his wrist is feeling good get through a session and then see how it feels and do the proper treatment before during and after a training session so whether that's icing or and doing uh, appropriate soft tissue stuff, um, just being consistent with that, because a lot of times people let an issue develop, and it becomes a chronic issue, and then they don't chronically try and rehab it, and then it just gets worse, and then it results in some sort of acute injury, or it just gets worse over time, and makes them get out of the gym, and that's not good. So, it's you know a specific question, but it could be uh, address mechanical flaws. Um, and find other things to do like if you still need a drill snatch position maybe you could do high pulls i'm not a huge fan of like of that kind of stuff but that's that's more of a weightlifting coach question and i'm not solely a weightlifting coach i use the olympic lifts to train athletes so uh you know penlay might be a good guy to ask jacob sipkin might be uh he might have some thoughts but that's all i have on that it's yakov that's his name yakov
1: okay. see ya uh, okay so let's uh next question is from Chad and his last name is Hydro which is awesome. Uh that's a sweet name. Yeah he came to a but seminar, he, asked,
0: he came to a seminar a few years back in Monterey. Oh uh, yeah dude. Uh,
1: he asked what your favorite pokemon is and I know Justin doesn't know anything about pokemon cuz look at him he's you know he's real jacked and tan. So uh, but I know a lot about pokemon. So I know that Brent's favorite pokemon is Snorlax and that's because Brent is Snorlax. Yeah Brent when um, Brent was
0: in college when I first met Brent he was still in college and uh, he would just sleep a lot, and he'd come to the gym like really late at night, and he's just fucking sleeping all the time. So, he's kind he's of always, and he's like,
1: always snoring. And uh, for a dude that weighs slightly over 160 pounds, my God, can he snore loud! I
0: forgot about that. Uh,
1: yeah, it's in, it's insane. The first time I stayed with him, I think it was Texas State in uh, 2010, and you know he came in like the middle of the night. Uh, I think we talked at midnight, and I was like, Brent, are you coming tonight or in the morning? He's like, I don't know. Should I drive now? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And he got there at 2 in the morning, and uh, he fell asleep immediately. And like 4 o'clock, I woke up to this deafening roar, and I was like, what the hell is going on? And I got up, and I looked at Brent, and I was like, man, that's, that's Brent snoring. I was like, that's a problem. But uh, I don't know. I, th- I don't know if he snores as bad as he used to, but Brent is snorlax. Uh next question which is equally as, imp- as you know an amazing question is from uh, C- uh we'll just call him uh Chris R or uh, I guess uh C Riley. He asks uh Justin, do you like the taste of blood?
0: <laughs> no, he's asking you, do you like the taste of blood? This is obviously Chris, okay? It's obviously Chris and he wants to know if you like the taste of blood and yes, cuz I like to eat
1: meat and humans. Well, so... he asked that question to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and I've never really figured out what the con- like, what the reason he asks that. I don't know. I don't know why he asks people. There's that, a, lot asks a lot of things that,
0: that aren't understood by Chris, and it's it's best to just move on.
1: Or yeah, try living with him. <laughs> uh, the, ne- the next, the next question. Hold on, hold on. What's
0: a- what's the what's the worst? What's the most annoying Chris thing that he did when he was living with you?
1: Uh the paper towels. That dude leaves paper towels everywhere. He uses like a little paper towel to clean something up and then leaves it. Swear to God, there are paper towels everywhere. Yeah. As soon as he moved out, I started saving so much money on paper towels. I was able to buy a new car because I was buying less paper towels. That's pretty significant. That's now, that's a, I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but my God, does he use paper towels. <laughs> buy stock in Bounty. They're never going out of style. Uh, all right. Let's ask the uh, next question. We got a question from... John D. John says I've recently switched from full squat or par- parallel squats to real squats, uh, full depth squats, and this has resulted in knee pain and swelling. Any tips for mobility or technique position that may be causing this? Although I think you added a word in there. He's he's switching from. I said yeah. I I did add a word. I, I said add from uh, parallel squats to. You know, from to real squats to full depth squats. Well, he's. I think what he's implying is that
0: he switched his squats to, you know, probably something that's like. You uh,
1: calv- would, would, would pass in a powerlifting meet. I said, would say. Pa- yeah.
0: I I don't know what his context is, but if he's, I I got the impression that he was doing like full like full range of motion, like calv- hamstrings down to calves, mm-hmm. and that's like that's like bottoming out and catching a clean in the deepest position.
1: No, no. I think I think what he's saying is. He used, no, he's saying he switched to full depth from parallel. So he used to, uh, he Just used to go squat down to parallel at,
0: where like his hips were technically his acetabulum or his hip socket yes. was a little bit above and didn't like meet a powerlifting standard. Now he's hitting depth. Now he's hitting depth. All right, and fair no, enough. Now he's having depth. And pain. so what I'm going to, what I know that John's doing without having to see him squat is that he's coming forward in the bottom of his squat. I would bet money on that. If I saw a video of him, I'd probably see it instantly. Um, but he said it was all in knee pain and swelling. That immediately tells me that uh, that it, whatever the reason, he's he's basically going down. And instead of like going down and keeping his knees where they're at from like halfway, like the halfway point of your squat when you're going down, your knees shouldn't move forward or back. And what he's probably doing is that he's going down, and then as he settles to to get his hips slightly below parallel where we want them to be, whether we're talking high bar or low bar, his hips are his hips. Don't have the mobility, or he's not getting his knees shoved out, whatever. But I'm assuming it's mobility because that's the, the case with most people. But his his hips are tight, and so his knees will shift forward at the bottom, and he goes forward in order to achieve that last few inches of depth. Um, so I would have to assume that he's got anterior or, or on the front of his knee pain and that's just going to irritate maybe his suprapatellar pouch which is just that area right above the kneecap where all the the quadriceps tendons come in and they attach on the top of the patella or the kneecap and then there's a ligament that attaches the bottom of the patella down to the front of the shin which is the tibial tuberosity on the tibia but um so basically that area is probably irritated because his knees are going forward and he's getting a lot of anterior or or front side stress on his knee so um if you are following what the fuck I just said, then he's just got stress in the front of his knees because his knees are going forward at the bottom of the squat. And so what he needs to do is learn how to engage his hips. So if he's low-barring, then that's going to be kind of like a, uh, emphasizing uh, keeping his knees where they're at and not letting them go forward at the bottom. So he's going to have to sit back a little bit. And then uh, that might be uh, due to not keeping his knees out. So if your knees come in at the bottom of a the squat, then they're also going to go forward a little bit, and you're going to run into that anterior or front side knee pain and so if your knees are coming in then that's an issue so you need to think about them coming out but I, lately I've been cueing uh, kind of like rotating the thighs out as opposed to just shoving them out and that kind of goes back to um, the Kelly Starrett method of teaching which he talks a lot about torque and so if you think about the, the tops of your thighs rotating out then that will kind of make that torque occur in the external rotators of the hips so um, that might Kind of help his problem but i would assume it's a little bit of mobility and most people have limitations in their anterior and lateral hips so the front and sides of their hip that need to be opened up with soft tissue and and uh maybe some uh joint capsule distraction with some mobility stuff so basically go to fucking mobility wad or uh 70s big and look up like interior hip or lateral hip mobility, or MOBS or something. And the shit will come up and he'll be able to see what to work on. But that's definitely an issue where his knees are coming forward at the bottom. I'm not even, I don't even have to see a video to know that. Um, so he needs to learn how to engage his hips. If he's high barring, then he's gonna, it's it's a little more ambiguous. Because with, with low bar, you can kind of say push the hips up out of the bottom. And that'll get some hamstring contraction and, and pull back on his knee to have more... So the hamstrings will pull back on his knee and not cause as much forward stress, if that makes sense. So in other words, if you're following the anatomy, posterior uh, tension is gonna reduce the anterior tension and have more of a net force of zero at the knee. So if you don't know what the fuck I said, don't worry about it, but (laughs) but, uh, driving the hip, pushing the hips up out of the bottom of of a low bar squat will help um, that knee thing. But if the knees are going forward anyway, then two things are going on. First off, he's slackening his hamstrings, which is going to make that hip drive difficult. And the second um, is that he's still putting anterior stress by shoving his knees forward anyway. So he needs to to basically, halfway down on his squat, regardless of his lower high bar, he needs to set his knees so they don't go forward or back anymore. And then he needs to get his hips engaged to the bottom.
1: Alright. The next question is from Tim F. Tim asks, in Fit, which is just which was written by uh, Justin, Dr. Kilgore, and Dr. Hartman It's a uh, cracking good yarn. Alright. <laughs> in Fit, which you can find on Amazon, uh, for the program Triples for Strength, the last exercise in the middle of the day calls for calisthenics. Is this referring to the pull-up, push-up, and squat conditioning workout outlined in the book? Okay, so he's referring to one of the programs
0: I put in as an example, and it's it's, it's kind of specific to uh, someone that wants to do a little more conditioning, but ke- keep enough volume to still maintain or improve strength. I, and uh, in this case, to answer Tim's specific question, calisthenics can refer to uh, a pull-up, push-up, squat uh, conditioning workout that I have in the book, but it could just be, like, fucking do calisthenics. Like I, I've talked to Tim before. I'm pretty sure he's not in the military. But if you were in the military, military, this could be your day. I'm sorry, if you're in the military. And military. This, this could be your day to kind of work on the calisthenics that you need to do for a PT test. Otherwise, I would prefer people to use calisthenics to do a, a calisthenic-based conditioning workout in that specific session. So, if you want to know more about, you know, the, what he's referring to as triples for strength uh, from the book, then uh, then get a copy of Fit. It's in the programming chapter. I wrote the sixth chapter, which is the programming chapter, and then Dr. Kilgore and Dr. Hartman wrote some of the other chapters and we all kind of collaborate on it. It's a good book for, you know, general strength and conditioning and we just call that fitness because we approach fitness that way. But um yeah, it's a conditioning workout with calisthenics, but if you just want to do some calisthenics because you want to catch a pump or you need to work on stuff for a PT test and do it that way.
1: All right. The next question is from Matthew P. And the question is the best movements either for minor, auxiliary, or core lifts that assist with weightlifting. And obviously he's referring to the snatch jerk. Well, I mean this, I'm gonna kind of give the
0: uh, little, uh, disclaimer that I'm not solely a weightlifting coach and I haven't taken anybody to meet in, in a bit. Um, so it's not my focus. And so I'll kind of always defer to, to friends that would be able to have more of a, a weightlifting coach answer. But I can give you, like, how I would go about it. And typically, um, the core lifts associated with weightlifting are going to be the lifts themselves and then squatting. (laughs) So if someone is weak, then, you know, some coaches might say something different, but I would say they still need to get stronger. So I I don't think that pressing doesn't have a place in a weightlifting program. Um, Even bench pressing, and I know Penele has mentioned before that uh, if someone's you know if someone needs to get stronger, then he'll have them bench and everything you know in a weightlifting program. But eventually, he's going to kind of wean them off of those uh, slower lifts and get them into more like push presses, uh, possibly even like rag jerks and stuff. So I'm not going to speak for Penley. He's got some articles in it. We've I've done some interviews with him on uh, '70s Big. Actually, and you can look on the, these podcasts and I've done I think at least two episodes with him. But I mean snatch, clean jerk, squat. Um, press push press rdls i think is a, is a huge uh assistance exercise not only for weightlifting but in general cuz so many people uh don't know how to engage their hamstrings in various lifts whether it's squatting or pulling anything which is snatching or cleaning or deadlifting so i think rdls is a is a pretty important assistance lift for for pretty much most athletes because it's such a neglected area on the ha- the upper proximal hamstring so you can go uh, search RDL on 70s Big, and, and apparently Mike's searching it right now. Uh, you can go RDL. I'm searching and, uh, SIP Sipkin's site. Uh, RDLs, uh, just search RDL on 70s Big, and it'll come up, and it's, I'm pretty particular about how people do RDLs, and it's not a strength lift per se, it's a more of a muscle action lift. So I'd say that, you know, pressing, squatting, RDL, and then doing the lifts themselves, and then the power variants, uh, more so with cleans, um, because usually people that are kind of new to weightlifting need more full snatch work as opposed to just power snatches all the time. Uh, but if the mechanics are pretty good, then, you know, the power variants work well. And then, of course, I defer to, to Penley um, for more complicated program. And I'm sure Sipkin has some some words of wisdom on the matter.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, when I, was, uh, when I stayed with Sipkin for that week, uh, I knew he had one of his lifters doing a, a small off-squat cycle because she was a a relative to you know her other lifts and her her body weight she was not a strong squatter and uh he had her doing full small off so that was pretty miserable (laughs) (laughs) to watch her go through that i was like man man i'm glad that's not me because i I was throwing the percentages you know at my lifts, thinking about i was like man i have to do a hell of a lot yeah i was like this this would be a really tough day for me
0: and the key is the key is is that uh it's basically like, where is this person deficient regarding their yeah. snatch and clean and jerk? Where are they deficient? They, like, can they? She was him? a weak
1: squatter. Yeah, yeah. She was she's a weak, a weak squatter.
0: squatter, so we had her squat. If someone has weak overhead strength, then you, they'll address it. And I would even go so far as looking at muscular balance. And that just goes for any athlete, not just weightlifters, but if muscular balance is important, if the if the back is not very filled out and not very strong, then the back needs to get stronger. If the hamstrings are not filled out and not strong, then that needs to get stronger, you know, so look at the efficiency and approach training from there and use you know use stuff that is more pertinent to weightlifting than say powerlifting or football
1: all right the next question is from matthew edward and uh i did you edit this question or was the question just hip mobility drills i don't i don't even remember highlighting this one but uh
0: I kind of, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll hit it up anyway. <laughs> it's just hit We're mobility We'll do it live! It's, it's hit mobility drills uh, with no question mark, so it's not technically a question, but uh, he's just like, <laughs> hit mobility drills like a Tourette's um, I like how you didn't
1: respond to my Bill O'Reilly comment there either. Well, it's kind of I've heard it for the last four years or whatever that I've known you, so You didn't uh, want to say get it off my screen? To, I don't know what that is to play us out? There's no words on it. Don't have time Alright um, hip mobility
0: drills, like typically people are tight in their anterior and lateral hip. So the front and sides of their hips. So couch stretch should just be, if, if someone sits down for just a few hours a day, they need to couch stretch, whether it's driving to work or sitting at a desk, couch stretch minimum a minute each side a day. And I've got a video on that. So if you go to the the videos on the homepage or if you just search hip mobility on 70's Big, I'm sure it'll come up. But on the YouTube channel, I've got a video of showing a quick method to hit up hip mobility and then i like i just call it the tabletop stretch but it's basically hip flexion in external rotation um you can it's, you know your 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 legs coming up and it's horizontal with the ground and you're you're if you're lifting your right knee i mean your right leg up your right knee is going to be facing to your right because it's like sitting on a table that's real important for opening up the lateral hip but you know it's kind of getting too specific like lacrosse ball these areas work on them with whatever tools you have for soft tissue and open them up with some stretching and and i I like uh movement prep stuff prior to a training session especially if someone's um pretty tight so like samson stretches or like lunging out and 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 rotating the torso while while in a lunge uh with the arms overhead i like stuff like that too
1: Uh, Just to point out the stuff that I do for hip mobility, I uh, like Justin was talking about the couch stretch, I do the couch stretch four or five times a week for two minutes each side uh, before training sessions. And then I also do the uh, the tabletop stretch at least twice a week for two and a half minutes each side, depending on how tight I am. And I do uh, wall squats with the band for uh, at least five minutes twice a week. And I really don't have – very many hip issues compared to what i know what i used to have yeah and uh, i mean I'll i used to have out, a lot of tigers. this
0: want to point out a little pat on the back mike uh pause squatted 400 uh recently which is front pretty... uh, come
1: on not a back it oh, was oh, a yeah. pause front pause squat, front,
0: squat. front squat my my mistake he paused front squatted uh 400 and it was very easy but his position what i noted what and i haven't seen mike train in person in a while but his uh his mobility in the bottom position is very good and he is a guy with long femurs and a short torso so it makes front squatting even more difficult for him and he's been working on on that type of squatting to to supplement his strongman and probably helps stones if i had to guess but that's uh, why i do it yeah but uh it's a good oh good upper back uh exercise and yeah and obviously recovering out of the bottom position with a stone in your lap but but he has very good mobility in it, and so basically you just start doing all the fucking hip mobilities that you can find on the internet, and when they work, they work, and you keep them, and, you, and then if they stop doing anything, then just kind of move on to more advanced stuff, and that's that's pretty much what we've all done. We, you find out what your deficiency is by trying it out. So there's some people with mobility, they don't even do it, and so they're like, what should I do? It's like, well, you're not even doing anything. Just <laughs> fucking start, like, you have to do it every day because it's a chronic issue when you're tight. Yeah. And usually it's caused by a mechanical issue in your lifting, so you need to get that addressed. Whether it's if you can identify it with video or if you can have a coach identify it, and then you need to treat the symptoms, which is going to be doing the mobility itself. Just do it every fucking day, you know.
1: Yeah, I uh, I had a buddy of mine, Mike. Uh, he flew down from Connecticut to stay with me this week, and uh, he's he never does anything, any mobility work, and uh, I took him through. Uh, I normally do three parts of the of Kelly Staretz five-way shoulder mobe, and uh, I did, you know, I did that after we trained twice this week, and uh, yeah, it was definitely an eye-opening experience for him. He's like, oh, that, wow, that, okay, that feels, yep, that feels different. And then you do the whole test-retest thing to show, uh, you know, how much different one side is from the not from the other. You know, right after you do it, and it's it's visible. I mean, you can it's tangible. You can see, wow, I have so much better external or internal rotation. Uh, you know, I can move without any pain, you know, that's why I like mobility so much Yeah, it's stupid not to do it Case closed <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, if I ever want to prove to someone that, you know mobility, why why I think mobility works, I will uh, put a lacrosse ball driving into my scalenes uh, against a wall for two minutes and then I will stand up straight and have someone, you know, look at both of my shoulders and you will clearly see all of the tension uh, that has been released on the one side that i you know, release uh, the pressure in the scalenes or the tension in the scalenes, and they're like, "Wow, that's a uh, man that makes a difference." I'm like, "Yeah," and my, you know, my neck feels a ton better. Uh, so I don't know. That's why I like mobility. Anyway, <laughs> uh, next question is, you know, we kind of got off on the tangent there. Is uh, Aaron L. He has a sweet last name too, Lampshire. That's awesome. Uh, ACL reconstruction by hamstring graft. How does that affect squats? Should you add assistance work? Would you program the Texas method differently?
0: Uh, earlier when we did the, uh, we were kind of talking about these questions. Do you know what that means, the hamstring graft?
1: What Do I know what it means? Yeah,
0: because you asked me about it and we didn't really talk about it earlier. Uh, no, I have no idea Okay, actually. so what they did is they, they basically took tissue from his hamstring and used that uh-huh. to, to put to put where his old ACL used to be, so they made an ACL with his hamstring tissue.
1: Okay, that's what I thought, but you know, it's it's yeah. better than guessing because I am, in fact, not a doctor. Contrary to uh, popular
0: belief, sometimes they'll even take tissue from cadavers, which is a dead body, and they can sometimes do that kind of stuff without taking it from the person themselves, but uh, taking it from a cadaver. So that's pretty interesting. Um, so basically, the way that it'll affect it is he's going to have to be cognizant of how he squats. So if he's squatting, uh, low bar, that might work a little better. Cause as much as you want to argue about squatting types, I'm not really into doing that for this episode, but high bar, low bar, I think there's a a subtle mechanical difference with musculature involved. And there's going to be more hamstring, uh, tension on the low bar squat. And so sometimes it's a little better for ACL, uh, because it'll pull back on the tibia. The tibia is the shin bone and the hamstrings come down and attach on the sides of the tibia. They cross the knee and then attach on the sides and kind of wrap around almost to the front of the tibia. And so they pull back on it. And what the the ACL does is is it resists anterior displacement. So it's resisting that tibia moving forward. And so any anterior or forward movement or resulting knee, uh, knee force is gonna kind of irritate that structure. And by having strong hamstrings, which we'll come back to in a second, and having a movement that pulls back on the tibia itself, by having the hamstrings pull back on it, that will be better for the knee and thus better for his repaired ACL. Um, Stronger hamstrings is gonna be incredibly important and I would have to assume that having weak hamstrings was the cause of whatever injury he had. I mean, if he took a helmet to the knee or something, then. It's not really his hamstring strength issues, you know, acute trauma, but um, by having strong hamstrings, then he's going to help stabilize his knee a little better. So right away, I'm thinking RDLs, like quality RDLs where he's pushing his hips back, feet are flat, he's getting proximal hamstring stretching and contraction, and just a linear progression with those, maybe even twice a week, beginning and end of the week. Uh, I, that would be my priority if I fucking tore my ACL. Um, it's just working the shit out of my, uh, hamstring, getting those really, really strong and then, uh, just pro- easily progressing back into a workload of squatting. Um, so add assistant work. Yeah. RDLs. Um, how does it affect squats? You're going to have to be careful about, uh, knees coming forward and having anterior stress on the knees. And that can be, it's typically from the knees jutting forward at the bottom. And then, uh, that's that's probably, I can't think of anything else right now but I mean it, high bar squatting you're gonna have to learn how to use your glutes and and your hamstrings to kinda help anchor that back angle which may not make a whole lot of sense but essentially improve the posterior chain is the, is the common theme here and lastly how would you program the Texas Method differently? Um, depending on how recent this injury was I might uh, be cognizant of jumping into a lot of volume on my knees but uh, the main thing is uh, that emphasis on getting the hamstring stronger. So a typical Texas method is Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, In the first book that I wrote, Texas method part one, uh, it talks about adding an assistance day on Tuesday. So I would maybe even put RDLs on that day all by themselves and maybe even do some lighter RDLs after the intensity day just to get some more direct hamstring work. So that's how I go about it. So posterior chain improvement strengthening is is uh, important for an ACL-type injury and recovery.
1: All right. And uh, the next question actually has to do with something, not nah, sort of similar. Uh, Scotty Scotty B asks, squatting technique with femoral acetabular impingement.
0: All right. So uh, femoral acetabular is just a fancy way of saying hip. Um, the femur comes up. The head of the femur is kind of like a golf club, and it fits into the to the hip socket, which is called the acetabulum. And so it's just a socket and then it's a circle. Head of the, the head of the femur is like a circle. It fits in and it has a nice little articulation. And that bone covers the head of the femur pretty well to the point that it's a much more stable joint than the shoulder, because the shoulder is technically a ball and socket, but it's just like a shallow little divot that the hum- the head of the humerus or upper arm bone, it just kind of like touches right there. and it's like a bunch of tendons and ligaments that hold that in place. But the hip is more of like a bony capsule. And so it's more stable. Um, so he's having impingement and that's almost always a result of tight hips. And this is, see, we've got a lot of common themes in today's show, like front of the hip, sides of the hip. When people are tight there, then it's not possible to externally rotate the hip. And so in other words, the femur is not gonna get out laterally away from that hip socket. And that's what impingement is. Um, it's essentially that the the, the femur is coming up and it's getting caught on the acetabulum. Um, it basically the the shaft of the bone is coming up and not clearing the socket. If that makes sense, does that make sense to you? Mark? Yeah. Okay. So yep. the shaft is coming straight forward, and it's you could even say it's like hitting on the socket. Whereas if it went more lateral, it would clear that that that. Part of the socket and be able to go up into more flexion. So you can achieve more hip flexion by getting more external rotation when squatting. In other words, if you can get your knees out more, then you're not going to have as much impingement, but you can't get your knees out if you're not, if you don't have good mobility and you're not gonna have good mobility if you don't fucking do it. Um, so these types of things need to be done directly before squatting and done every day, even when you're not squatting, just like we talked about earlier. So couch stretch, Lacrosse balling the external rotators of the hip, so the outside of the hip, um, rumble rolling that stuff. I mean, whatever you got, like, it needs soft tissue work, it needs stretching, it needs regular attention. And uh, so, another thing is that if it's developed over a long period of time, it's going to require uh, regular attention. Um, so, my lovely wife, which is the first time I think I've said I'm married on any 70s big thing, <laughs> uh, she. She, uh, that was my dog clapping. She's had like a long-term Nothing. issue with one of her hips when she squats. And uh, basically, um, what I've narrowed it down to is that her uh, her iliacus, uh, it's uh, similar to the psoas, but it attaches on the inside of the hip. I'll save you guys the fucking nitty-gritty details. But basically, like I'm having to like work on that a couple times a day, and then having her kind of move it. Uh, full through a full range of motion but it's not like you do work on it and it's fixed you got to work on it over time if it's a chronic issue so um hip impingement type shit is just like a jelly dick way of saying you have shitty mobility and so i don't know if that's been diagnosed or if he's just using a term he found on the internet or if he actually likes and uses those terms like me but uh yeah just regular mobility work paying attention to all that being consistent
1: you'll get through it consistency consistency is key Are these next two questions, do they both just happen to be about grappling? Did both of these guys ask about grappling? A little bit, yeah. We'll just kind of ask them both together then. Yeah, we'll ask them together. So Sean wanted to know about programming around grappling, and then Martin wanted to know about mixing Olympic lifting and general strength conditioning, as well as grappling and rugby training. Emphasis on the lifting, please. So a whole lot of stuff. All right. Let's, Not a lot go. of specifics. I'm actually
0: going to knock them back into separate questions, even though they both have to do with grappling. The first thing is is that uh, okay. I have two buddies, and actually they're Australians, that um, are either fighters themselves and, and are coaching people or just pro- coach fighters. So the same guy from earlier, Shannon Green, who does Strongman, he uh, works with Fires. His website is warriorperformance.com.au. Um, so he's like, fight fighters. <laughs> so he... His accent is funny. Um, but he used to actually uh, train fighters at a, an actual fighting gym down there. And I, I went and I was in the gym one time and saw his setup and stuff. But then he's since got his own gym. Um, and then my buddy Sean Trainer is opening a place called projectwarrior.com.au. Um, and he, he's got a pretty interesting background. Uh, so get in touch with him uh, and he will have some good. Stuff. His name is Sean Trainer, T R A I N O R, but projectwarrior.com.au. I don't think his site is fully live yet, but check back if you're really interested in this question. But basically, I know what uh, Shannon does is that he'll, uh, when guys are really heavy into their training leading up into a fight, like they don't have time or recovery resources to fucking do strength and conditioning. So they might do like a press and an RDL, and that's their lifting for that day because they might be doing conditioning on the mat and they don't really have a lot in them to do anything else. So I know he uses, he has found things that are not as stressful to still work on lagging muscular body parts or musculature. So if a guy uh, has a weak posterior chain, then Shannon might use uh band of good mornings to address that. And yeah, like band of good mornings is not gonna be a good thing for a linear progression, but this guy is fucking, he's striking, he's grappling, you know, he's getting mat work. So like he's got all these different types of training sessions for uh, getting ready for his fight. He doesn't have a lot of resources to recover, so hits he throws in like a main lift and accessory movement. And you know, guys that are fighting or guys that are involved in a sport and it's like in-season sport, I don't like him to deadlift. So that's the same for for guys that are have a high uh, if they're in the middle of a lot of missions on a deployment uh, in the military or they're training a lot at home. Probably they're not actually at home; they're just training a lot and they uh, they're out in the field and stuff like. De- don't deadlift as much just just get what you can and keep everything healthy and just work on uh, those lagging mus- uh, muscular uh, excuse me lagging uh, body parts that need to be strengthened or filled out um, so Sean trainer projectwarrior.com.au Shannon Green warriorperformance.com.au the second question was the guy that was like hey how do you do Olympic lifting with strength and conditioning uh, and grappling and rugby and rugby and this and this And so this is kind of related um, to I was in, I was working with uh, some special operations guys in another country and one of them, I had just got done kind of presenting on a programming type lecture and uh, how to to program around their their line of work and stuff. And he came up and was like, you know, I'm training uh, for this type of selection and uh, I'm getting ready for a fight and I'm doing you know crossfit at the same time and I'm and uh doing this and he's like so how can I do all that and I was like well you fucking can't man that's like that's like three or four serious things to train for and you just can't do that you're not you're not superman and uh so that's kind of the thing with this guy Martin Martin O who's asking how do I do limp weightlifting with all this other shit like you're going to have to focus in because if you wanted to say like weightlifting while getting stronger, like I got you. If you want to do like some weightlifting maybe with some grappling, eh, you might be getting some joint pain from grappling that is going to interfere with your weightlifting or vice versa. Your weightlifting might be interfering with the grappling. And then rugby, you know, like you're going to be beat up from rugby rugby and the last thing you probably need to be doing is snatching and clean jerking hard. So you got you guys have to kind of it'd be nice to be awesome at everything. I know. You want to have big biceps, but still snatch a lot, but it may not be realistic to get both of them at the same time. So you're going to have to focus your training into something. And so that's why we say, Hey, sign up for this fucking competition, sign up for this meet because it focuses you. And then you're like, all right, instead of fuck around itis over here with the dumbbells every day, I'm actually just going to do my, my lifts for powerlifting and get the fuck out and go get some good rest. And that's going to be the best thing for you is just committing to one thing at a goddamn time. Even if it's fucking four four weeks of all right, four weeks of weightlifting, and then I'll I'll fucking do four weeks of stuff that whatever I can get while I'm focusing on this grappling competition. And then I've got this rugby season coming up that's three months long, so I'm just going to kind of squat squat and press twice a week just so I can stay up on those. You know, like set it up like that.
1: It's unrealistic to fucking try and hit all of it at once. So while I was uh, listening to the last part of that, because uh, I saw that you mentioned rugby training again, and we were just talking about a bunch of Australian fellas, I'd just like to interject with something really interesting, if you're still with us right now. Uh, yeah, Do you know who Warwick Brandt is, Justin? Do you remember him? He did an article on him a few years ago.
0: What would you say? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah, Warwick Brandt. You remember him? Australian yeah. strongman. Uh, well, he tweeted yesterday that he wants to front squat 800, and uh, set an official world record at the Arnold next year. For the front so squat? I, uh, yeah, in the front squat. And I know he has a he has a rugby background and he's a uh, ridiculous front squatter. But uh, the, the, how do you set an official world record in the front squat? I don't
0: know. I guess... I don't know. I guess he'll just be like, this guy fucking did a legit front squat and... With 800? And he has done more than anybody else has, so he's the king.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just, you know, we were talking about Australians and uh, and rugby and... I don't know. It led me to think about work brand. But uh, let's, let's get to our last question yeah. here. Uh, from Chris L. Chris asked, on the Texas Method, how to tell when to up the volume dose versus to go on to the next progression, e.g. to drop from intensity day triple, triples <laughs> to doubles? All right. So this, uh, this question is,
0: of course, addressed in the books that I have out. So there's Texas Method Part 1. This is going to be more uh, related to The Texas Method Advanced. Maybe Chris has the book, I don't know. I've, I've tried very hard uh, to make it very clear on how to uh, transition from these. Not saying Chris is doing something wrong if he has the book, because there's always going to be questions about a book no matter how thorough you try and make it, especially with something as dynamic as programming um, and arbitrary uh, as programming. but. Uh, in this case, he's kind of talking about I've got a system set up where once your intensity day is like slowing down with a given weight, then you're going to kind of shift your intensity days. So basically, you're going to run fives on your intensity day, so you're doing a five rep max, and then when those like basically come to a halt or they're not progressing anymore, you shift to triples, and you're you're basically going to go through uh, uh, a, a progression of getting as heavy as you can, uh, it's, wait, a heavy triple every week until that slows down and by slowing down I mean like you come to a grinding fucking halt in your progression or like you're grinding out your last rep each week and you're like next week I don't know if I'm gonna fucking get these triples so then then it might get to the point where you miss a triple and then you might take like a deload week and then you might get back into it or you just kind of the next week start doing doubles so the idea is that if you are dropping the amount of reps you're doing on your intensity set then you're gonna be able to do more weight because that's how it works (laughs) you know you can do more weight for fewer reps um so he's asking like how do you know when to do that and it's just like it's kind of already explained it once they're the progression is slowing down like you'll know like man that that uh that triple is better than it was to like it was easier than it was two weeks ago but it's 10 pounds more then you know you're kind of on the right track with that volume and intensity uh discrepancy and we talked about that in the last episode so it's it's very relevant on what the volume is and then uh but the way, if your volume is good, which is a big assumption, because that's the thing that people mess up the most in the, in just regular yes. like, the Texas Methods where they're <laughs> not really where they're kind of just reading about it on the internet and then just throwing it in, like doing it for a few weeks. That's the thing they mess up the most. And the Texas Method is a very, it's a long-term program that'll work for at least a year if you're using it right. And that's why I wrote the books, because you can tweak shit to make it last like for one to two years. I mean, I, I can't remember how long you guys are using it, but it was at least a year and a half i mean we got to the more advanced stages but still so you know once your shit starts slowing down then you know switch to the next rep scheme and then eventually you're going to have to kind of tailor that rep scheme to whatever you're getting ready for like we did we used it for you guys on powerlifting so we eventually found for a while that doing ascending doubles was very similar to doing to doing uh three rep three uh attempts at a meet so when for bench if we knew that you guys could double something we knew that you could probably pause it and you did three of those in training so it was like you were kind of doing like a little mini meet and that was good for getting adapted to to powerlifting, getting you guys so you weren't tired on the third attempt but you know that's not going to work forever nothing ever does so just use some sense when you're when you're progression you're trying to run fives as long as you can when it starts slowing down or you miss the last rep then it's time to shift it and and go to that next uh rep scheme
1: all right, well, that is it for questions. Uh, I just want to add a couple more things and then turn it over to Justin to finish it out. Uh, yesterday, Bre- uh, Brett Kim, uh, for those of you who read his log, Uh, mope, mope, uh Brent did a meet yesterday. Uh, Brent snatched 107 on his second attempt, and then uh, on he got called for not waiting for the down command after snatching 111. Uh, so he went for... A, uh, he did a 134 clean and jerk on a second attempt, and then made the jump to uh, to 140, uh, which would be a PR for him. He he got the clean, and then he uh, was not able to finish with the jerk. But uh, nevertheless, it's a you know it's always fun to watch uh, or to hear about you know all of us competing. Uh, and in two weeks, if we don't end up doing a podcast next weekend, which we hopefully will, uh, but AC will be about a week out uh, <laughs> next week. Uh, AC is doing a meet. Um, I, th- I know it's I think it's in Georgia but I don't remember it's a it's a pretty big regional meet I believe it's a USAPL uh, a- meet yeah I think uh, yeah, Josh it's a USAPL Rohr meet. Yeah. Josh think
0: at a- Quest Athletics he's a good dude I think he's running the meet actually and they uh, he's a good dude it'll probably be a well run meet and AC will be competing and he'll probably have a lot of fun
1: uh, but AC's so, set up right now that he's looking like, I mean, he's he's feeling good. So it's looking like he's going to PR on all three lifts, which would be awesome. Because AC has had some really bad luck on his third attempt deadlifts for the past, had, like,
0: yeah, yeah. Also a lot of bad luck with just training. And then Brent had a lot of bad luck leading into his meet. He got he got the plague about a few weeks out. He's yeah, got herpes syphilitis, yeah. Yeah, he has, he got meningitis or something. Not really, but he, he had some horrible sickness for a few days. And then uh, uh, then he had some other stuff going on where he didn't get to sleep or train, like, basically leading into the meet. So I was bummed that he didn't get that. He's probably going to be pissed that we talked about it.
1: Yeah. Um, it's uh, cool, though. He, and- you can read Wad and see why he's pissed
0: at everything all the time. <laughs> but that's all we got today. You can find more of this nonsense on the 70sBig.com fan page or 70sBig.com itself. The Twitter is at 70sbig. Give us a shout if you want to chat. Uh, been busy with stuff going on in life, so there hasn't been a whole lot of whole lot of going on there, but glad to do these podcasts, glad to answer some questions, and uh just keep on the lookout for uh the when we accept more questions for the next episode sometime this week. And uh you got anything else, Mike? Uh see ya later.